Welcome. Glad to be here with you all again this morning. Um, we are going to be in Romans chapter 8, so go ahead and have your uh, Bibles open to Romans 8 if you have your Bibles with you. Uh, we just finished a very long series on desiring God's will. I hope that bore fruit in your lives uh, as it did for me as I studied and prepared for that. But we're going to change gears a little bit, and we're going to be spending three weeks in Romans 8. And the reason why I picked Romans 8 was because it's one of those chapters, kind of like Brad said, it's one, of, it's one of my favorite places to go. Right? Romans 8 has a lot of great material in there. There's a lot of good affirmations, a lot of good things to take hold of and just live out. Uh, but what I often find is that when I go to the chapters that I know the best, that I've read most often, I kind of get into a rhythm right, of understanding and knowing what's coming next. And so for this series, I really wanted to look at Romans 8 with trying to have fresh eyes at it as best as I could. Maybe even as a new believer in a way that's saying, okay, if I just happen to open up my Bible and just you know, do the close my eyes and put my finger on Romans 8, what would I take away and how I might look at it differently? And I want to be very careful here because I don't want to remove context whatsoever uh, because that's very dangerous theology, right? To remove context from Scripture will lead you to some interesting places. And, but I'm going to try to stay as best as I can in Romans chapter 8. We are going to move around just a little bit, but I want to look just at Romans 8 and see what is Romans 8 saying to me right now with fresh eyes and maybe a way that I didn't think of it previously. So hopefully you can kind of step into those shoes with me this morning as well. Maybe you're very familiar with it. Maybe you're not familiar with it. But today and for these three weeks, I want us to all be on the same page as saying, I want to look at this differently and maybe with a new, fresh eye. So we're going to continue actually reading this section. So continuing on, Romans 8, 5 through 17. We just read 1 through 4, so we're going to continue on. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile towards God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. So those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of the Spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if the spirit, excuse me, but if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are God's children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. So as I was reading this uh, over and over again throughout the week and throughout uh, a couple weeks, I kept coming to these two words that happen over and over again, right? We have this emphasis on flesh and spirit, right? Over and over again. And like I tell the teens when we're studying the Bible, if a word happens more than once, it's probably important. And if you were to look in there, you'd see it happens more than once, right? Happens several times. So immediately my mind is drawn to this, okay, flesh 
and spirit. Okay, what are the differences between these two things? And I think it's very clearly stated right here. The mind governed by the flesh is death. But the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. A very clear distinction, right? There, there, there's a very clear separation between a life that lives in the spirit and a life that lives in the flesh. One leads to death and the other leads to life. And throughout this section, we see that kind of theme, kind of metaphor come up over and over again as Paul's talking to the Roman people. But there's a lot more to wrestle with within Romans chapter 8. And this is what I have a big problem with, okay? Remember, I'm trying to have fresh eyes. We just talked about flesh and we just talked about spirit. The flesh leads to death, but the spirit leads to life. And with fresh eyes, I read this and I have issue. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. We just talked about the flesh and the spirit. We just talked about one leads to death and the other leads to life. So why on earth is the son taking on the likeness of flesh? Before we get to that, I really need to talk about bull, bull riding for one second, okay? I don't know if anybody's a big bull riding fan in here. Um, when I lived in Searcy, Arkansas, I worked at Chili's, and a rodeo would come to town every year. That was odd for me, being a Florida guy. A lot of, a lot of rodeo people would show up, and they're like little kids, and they're chaps, you know, like ready to ride a horse and do stuff. Really interesting world I don't know much about. Uh, but I've seen bull riding on TV, and it is extremely dangerous. Okay, we can all agree, right? If you go on YouTube and just type in bull riding, you will find that it is not something that the average person should probably attempt to do, right? The whole point of bull riding is for these people to stay on the back of these bulls for eight seconds. That sounds crazy to me, right? Like eight seconds, it sounds like such a short amount of time, but I'm certain that those eight seconds for these people last eternity, right? Uh, they train, they do all these different things to stay as long as they can. These animals, I looked it up, weigh anywhere between 1,200 and 2,000 pounds. Right, okay? This is Bushwhacker, the bull. He has a name. When I looked up Bushwhacker, there was an article that said, is Bushwhacker the Michael Jordan of bulls? I don't know what that means. Okay? <laughs> I really have no idea what's his, you know, PER, what's his three-point percentage? I don't know. Um... But Bushwhacker is one of the most famous bulls. And I was doing some research, and I stumbled upon one of the most elite bull riders. His name is J.B. Mooney, I think. He's a little bit taller than me and a lot scrawnier than me. If you saw him, you wouldn't be like, that guy's a bull rider, okay? But he's a, supposed to be the best. And I was, I was reading, or excuse me, I was listening to an interview. He sat down with somebody, and they were talking about his, his um, just rise to fame in bull riding. And they got to this question of, He's, the, the interviewer literally, literally asked him, do you remember all of your maulings? Maulings. You know what that means, right? Being mauled by this animal. And he kind of thought for a second, and he's like, he listed off the bull's names that he did remember. He's like, I don't remember the rest. He's had so many maulings in his life that he cannot remember like, the extent at which he's being mauled by these animals, right? 
It is a crazy sport to get into. No, no shame. If anybody in here is a secret bull rider, do your thing, okay? I'm not shaming you whatsoever. But I think the average person could watch that on TV and look at this animal and say, people should probably not be riding bulls. The average person should not be on the back. It is very, very dangerous, and it is an obvious thing for me to avoid this bull. It's obvious, clearly dangerous, and we don't normally want to do this. But I want us to think about bull riding as we, as we look in Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 17, because there are, there are certain things in our lives that are very clear and very dangerous that we automatically avoid pretty much no questions asked. But when I read Romans chapter 8 with fresh eyes, there seems to be a big problem with how I approach the flesh. The way I see the workings, a life lived by the flesh, we just read about the flesh leads to death and the spirit leads to life. And I think sometimes when we motor through Romans chapter 8, you know, we don't think about the flesh, you know. What comes to mind when we think of living according to the flesh, right, the big ones, right, when we read Galatians, right, sexual immorality, that's a big one, like murder, adultery, thieving, all these things, the big ones that we have in our minds, the things that we ought to avoid, those are the things that, that, that we kind of associate with living according to the flesh. But it seems to me that there's, there's, a, there's a bigger issue involved, because with fresh eyes, I believe that living according to the flesh has a much bigger banner than I think we're willing to assume. Okay, most of the time, the bulls are obvious, right? T today, I don't really have to wrestle with whether or not I'm going to murder, okay? That is not in my heart. Check that off. I did not sin by murdering today. I, or I'm not going to commit adultery today, okay? That, that should be a pat on my back, maybe. Maybe not, I don't know. Maybe today it might be. But we have these big ones that we tend to avoid because they're obvious and they're obviously dangerous for our lives and what might happen. But with fresh eyes, I think the flesh has a much more different uh, definition than we want to assume just being the big sins that happen in our lives. The flesh is extremely subtle at times. No, today you didn't murder, but how are you consuming the world today? I want you to think about that. How are you consuming the world today? What are you taking into your body? What are you listening to? What are you watching? What are you taking in that makes you look and seem a little bit more like the world? And I, I typically don't get political, and I'm not going to be political today. I promise you, if you're mad at me after this, please come talk to me. But I think a lot of the things that we kind of get tripped up on today have to do with worldly issues have to do with side effects of living in the world today. So many of us consume so much political fodder that we should be embarrassed by it. And I know I'm speaking today on July 4th where I should be, or July 3rd, tomorrow's July 4th, I should be really patriotic today. Maybe it's really fitting that this conversation's happening because sometimes I think we get so obsessed with whoever's in office, whoever's making decisions, that we forget the fact that we're not of this world, right? We forget that we're not actually supposed to be living according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. But we get so tripped up on who's making decisions that we freak out and we don't want to associate with anybody who thinks differently than we do. That's a problem. And I don't want you to walk away saying, oh, Jimmy's saying I need to be apolitical. Jimmy's saying that politics are bad. I'm not saying that whatsoever. 
But I think that sometimes when we consume the world, we end up caring so much about the decisions that are being made and who's making them that we forget about what we're actually supposed to be living by. We're not supposed to be living by the flesh. We're supposed to be living by the spirit. Yes, we should care. Yes, we should obviously put our our time and research into saying, who do we want to support as a candidate? But at the end of the day, guess what that person's going to do? They're going to die someday. You're going to die someday. But when we live according to the flesh, that's, that's going to bother us. But when we live according to the spirit, the person that we're following also died, but he didn't stay there, right? He didn't live according to the flesh. He lived according to the spirit. And that same spirit, like we just read in Romans chapter 8, actually helped him to overcome death. And that's what we're pursuing today. We, we, we so often get tripped up on these little minute details. I've, I've heard jokes. I've heard people in this room say things that I'm kind of like, why are we caring so deeply about that? We're not caring about how the spirit is active in our communities. Why are we caring so much about this person when that person is going to die someday? We put so much stock in people and not enough stock in Christ, not enough stock in living a life according to the spirit. And again, I'm not saying it's not important. It is important. But when we consume the world, excuse me, when we consume the worldly things, we ended up looking a whole lot more like the world and a whole lot less like Christ. No matter who makes the decision in the world, the flesh will always lead to death. Always. We need to stop trusting people in order to make us feel secure in this world. And no, they might not be who you want them to be. No one ever will be. The people you love the most in this world will fail you. How much more so will a political office fail you? Much, much more. And I don't want to be so down because I think that there is so much fruit to be taken away from Romans chapter 8. Because I believe that all to be truth. That flesh leads to death. But this is the thing that we're going back to this morning, right? There is no condemnation in Christ. Can we read this together? There is no condemnation in Christ. And if you believe that, I think that your mindset's going to be different how you interact with the world. How you consume the world. Yes, we live in this world. And I'm not, like, pause for a second. I don't believe the whole idea, like, this world is not my home, I'm just passing through. Yes, we do have an eternal heaven, place to be with God eternally one day. What we do here does matter, but what we do here should reflect this statement, right? It should not reflect your political leanings. It should not reflect who you think should be in office and doing what program or whatever it might be. It should reflect this. I mean, look at the life of Christ. Did he not always, you know, give to Caesar what is Caesar's? That's, that's not my fight to fight. That's not my battle to fight. I have a much greater battle in mind over sin and death. There is no condemnation in Christ. I believe that if this is our first mindset, everything else looks a whole lot different. I'm reminded of John 3, 6, when Jesus is having a, a correspondence with Nicodemus, who has a place in a political hierarchy at that time, right? He's a Pharisee. He has something to lose by speaking to Jesus. And Jesus says, you know, man must be born again. And then he goes into this diatribe where he says, flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. And guess what flesh is going to keep giving birth to? Flesh. Every single time. Unless we adopt this mentality, unless we live a life according to the spirit, we're going to die in the flesh and that's it. When we live a life according to the Spirit, live a life according to this being our ultimate truth, 
everything transforms and the world can look a whole lot different. If the church really adopted this, I think the world would look a lot differently. But we're struggling. It's a real struggle. There is no condemnation in Christ. The Spirit does give life. But that brings me back to my first question. Remember, I had this question. Okay, we have this difficulty with flesh and spirit. My question was, why on earth would God send Jesus into that environment? It's the obvious bull riding scenario, right? God's looking down and he looks and he sees flesh gives birth to flesh. Flesh ultimately leads to death. Now I'm going to send my son to get on the back of a bull and ride it for 33 years. And at the end of that 33 years, he's actually going to die. That seems like a really, really high price to pay for you and me. But that is what makes this so much more true. There is now no condemnation in Christ because Jesus took on flesh. The flesh separates us from God. Did you read what, I, what, was, what was said in Romans chapter 8? Just a few things, okay? The flesh is hostile towards God. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. Cannot please God. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. And all of that is true, and God sent his son to be in the flesh. That sounds like it shouldn't work. That sounds like a bad plan. If I were God, I'd say, let's remix this. But that is what makes it so special because Jesus took on flesh the very thing that separates us from God so that God can be ultimately closer to man. That's awesome. That is looking the bull straight in the eyes and said, you know what? Eight seconds isn't long enough. I'm taking this on and it's going to be a risk, but I'm going to be there with you. The reality is that the Spirit gives us life much, much, much beyond the evils of the flesh. The power of the Spirit is far greater than the power of the flesh. Look at this in Romans chapter 8, verse 11. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. This sounds so much more powerful and so much more impactful than any kind of political agenda or political topic that anybody could bring, to, bring, bring before me, okay? This is power. This is absolute power. Anything that happens in our day and age is not absolute power. I promise you that. This is. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. And the very fact that we can say this to be truth is because Jesus took on sinful flesh, took on the obvious danger of entering into this body and overcame it. That's living life according to the spirit. A great power at work here in Romans 8, 11. So when you look at this, with fresh eyes, I take away that flesh leads to death and spirit leads to life. Very simple. But the third thing is that Jesus took on flesh in order to give us life. Because alone, like, like Romans 8 says, that alone the flesh cannot please God. The flesh is hostile towards God. Jesus takes on flesh so that we can commune with the spirit. Do you see that? He's our mediator, right? He is our ultimate, you know, Go between between us and God. And he takes on flesh to do that. 
And it seems so simple when you break it down like that, right? It's like the X's and O's of being a Christian, right? Flesh bad, spirit good, Jesus, thank you, right? Very simple. But my question then is this. Why is it difficult to live according to the Spirit? Why is it difficult to live according to the Spirit? And you guys are probably thinking about a hundred different answers. I just have three that I briefly want to talk about, okay? The first is that the flesh doesn't always seem so bad. Like I said before, the flesh can be very subtle. It's not always going to be a raging bull staring you down the eyes, waiting for you to just make a step. The flesh doesn't always seem so bad. And again, like I said, there are times when we think that politicians are on the side of the spirit. Unfortunately, that is not true. Even me today, I, the only reason that I'm able to say that I am living according to the spirit is because Jesus makes me holy. And if we're submitting to the holiness of Jesus making me holy, what worth am I, James Francis Divine IV, outside of Christ? I'm pretty worthless. But the very fact that people promise you things and things are going to be accomplished because of them, that is such a fallacy. It is about the flesh. It is about the world. And that is never going to sustain you like the, like the spirit will. But you see, the flesh doesn't always seem so bad because it's under the guise sometimes of really good things. It seems so good. It seems so normal. And I'm not just talking about temptation. I'm talking about the things that actually seem like they're aligned with Christ. Do you remember when Jesus is going into Jerusalem, what they did for him? They're putting down palm branches to make him king. A week later, they hated that guy. A week later, they made sure that whatever political agenda they thought he was about was not going to come to fruition, right? If anybody should have been elected to political office, it would have been Jesus, right? But because he threatened the way the flesh works, they made sure that that would never happen again. He was crucified for seeming like he was going to do something within the flesh. And what they didn't realize is that he did do something in the flesh in order for the spirit to transcend the flesh. The flesh doesn't always seem so bad. And I just want to make sure that we walk away recognizing that the flesh isn't always about the bull, you know, the raging bull in your face. It's about the subtleties. Watch out. Be mindful of how the flesh can be deceptive. The second thing is that the spirit actually requires you to sacrifice yourself. This is not very fun. Okay, we're asking the question, why is it so difficult to live according to the spirit? Because it requires us to sacrifice who we are. It requires us, again, that word that I hate to say over and over because it's so true and so difficult to live out. It requires surrender. July 4th is coming up. Surrender is not usually part of that theme, right? The spirit requires us to surrender. And I don't want you to walk away. Please don't walk away from this saying, Jimmy's anti-America or anti-politics. I am not. I love my country, okay? I do. But I believe we are being called to live a different life within this country. It is very important that I identify as an American, but much more important to identify as someone who's living according to the Spirit. Amen? Say amen with me out loud so that I know that you're not going to come be mad at me later because I'm being unpatriotic on July 3rd. I'm not, Okay? But what I do want to communicate is that the Spirit does require a sacrifice and it requires you to surrender to Jesus. 
much higher power than anything else that we can ever come into contact with on this world. And the third thing, and this is where I kind of, kind of very similar to the first point, but in, the, in a different way. All of this sounds too good to be true to me. Again, I'm coming at Romans 8 with fresh eyes. I want to almost read this like a new believer or someone who's never been to church before. And I hear about flesh and I hear about spirit and I hear about Jesus taking on flesh to transcend my flesh to become, uh, a, to live a life according to the spirit. And it sounds too good to be true because of this. For those who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. This does not seem fair for us to be able to say that we are God's children, that we are heirs of God, that we are co-heirs with Christ. What have you and I done to warrant this kind of reception by God? Absolutely nothing. But the flesh wants to deceive you to think that you can do things in order to become greater within yourself. But the, the way of the Spirit, according to the Spirit, says, no, you become more by actually becoming less. You actually become greater by taking on this, this posture of submission, this posture of servitude. You are no longer slaves so that you may not, you may not fear again. I just hear so much fear both sides, if you, whatever radio station you want to turn on or TV station, both sides are screaming like the world's on fire every single day. And then everybody says, this group of people is a bunch of idiots. This group of people is a bunch of devils or wh whoever you want to say. They are the Antichrist. They are this, whatever it might be. Everybody's saying the world's on fire, but Jesus gives us a different way. And yes, it does seem too good to be true, but I prefer this way much more than the world's way. And I hope as Christians we can adopt this and say, you know what, I want to be led by the Spirit. No, it's not going to be perfect every day. And no, I want you to still be active in, in, in our community and, and speak for justice, but adopt the mindset of Christ, not the, the mindset of whatever political party you uh, 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 whatever attend to. That's going to fail you, I promise. But the Spirit will not fail. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is living within you, and that is powerful. So yes, it might sound too good to be true, but I believe that this is the ultimate truth over any other truth that could be brought forward, and, and Jesus makes it very clear in the way that he lived and the way that he died. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this time, and I thank you for Romans 8. Um, I thank you for that very first sentence of Romans 8. There is now no condemnation in Christ. I pray that that, those, that sentence can be like a resounding you know, gong in, the, in a good way in our minds. That when we get so caught up in the ways of the world, when we caught up in the flesh, that the things that are so subtle that we kind of look more and more like the world, I pray that, that word, no condemn, those words, no condemnation in Christ Jesus, can ring true in our lives. Help us to live according to the Spirit. Help us to not get so worried 
about whoever might be in charge or whoever might be saying this or that, but recognize what you said and what you did, and that power is the power that we live our lives by. God, help us to have the courage and the boldness to do it, and help us to have the courage to accept this truth. Because yes, it does sound too good to be true. Me calling out to God as Abba Father sounds so foreign and like I don't deserve it. And the truth is I don't deserve it and nobody does. But Christ makes us worth it, worthy. And I thank you for that sacrifice. So Jesus, let me pray. Amen. Uh, this is the time where we invite you to come forward if you want to. But uh, like I always say, you don't have to come forward, but talk to somebody today. If you're struggling with Romans 8, if you're struggling with feeling this no condemnation, if you're saying, I've gone too far, I've done too much, I promise you, that is a bold-faced lie that you just keep telling yourself, and Satan loves to hear you tell it to yourself. Talk to somebody today while we come and stand and sing.